That's what justice looks like to me, is, is a child being treated as God's own creation. We're Doug and Cheryl Kite, longtime members of Chapel Street, and a year ago we made a decision to begin serving in the ministry Safe Families for Children. This is an organization that, that comes alongside families in distress and offers to host children while the parents or parent navigates a crisis. Our little boy came from a home with a single mom, several kids. She'd been a victim of domestic violence. He'd seen things. That isn't right. It's not just. It's not the way God intends for a family unit to be. Our family is blessed. We love our children unconditionally, and it would break my heart to think that there's a child out there that does not have that. Sometimes it can get overwhelming to think, how can I contribute? God brings you this opportunity to invest in a child you would never meet, ever. That child will be so blessed seeing your family, seeing God's love through your family. The Ministry of Safe Families is an instrument of God's justice in the world. It gives you as a volunteer an opportunity to treat children as God wants them treated. And God will work in your heart through the process to bring you to the place where you get great joy from it. Uh, we are highlighting a variety of different justice partners, um, ministries in our area that are working on the front lines of justice issues. Last week, we talked a little bit about world relief. Um, this week, out in our lobby, um, we are highlighting um, Royal Family Kids Camp, and there's a booth for Safe Families. The story that you just heard about is also uh, Caring Network is a ministry partner this week. And on our website... Right now we have a page that shares just a little bit more about each of these ministries and ways that you can get questions answered or find out more information or if, if God is stirring in your heart to say, maybe that's an area where uh, I can get involved. Maybe that's an area where my family can get involved. Uh, we can help uh, answer those questions. We can help um, get you connected to, to these incredible ministry partners. And we think that really is a, a role, a key role in the life of the church. Now, if I were to ask you, um, it, it, let's say that uh, somebody comes up to you, and this would be kind of a, a unique situation, but just ask you to introduce them to God, where would you start? Like if you were going to say, if somebody came up and just said, tell me who he is. Would you, would you begin at the point of his holiness? Would you, would you start with absolute perfection? Would you talk about his graciousness? Would, would you talk about the ministry of, of Jesus? Would you talk about the personification of love? All of those would be viable answers, and, and any number of other answers would be a great place to start. But oftentimes, when we're introducing somebody to somebody else, we oftentimes start with what they do, right? Like, for instance, if I were to see one of you in Target or Jewel or whatever, and you're talking to a friend, I go up and, and say hi. 
more often than not, a lot of times you would say, hey, this is, this is the pastor at my church, Sterling, and, and you introduce me to your neighbor, your friend, whoever, based on what it is that I do. I think that that's, that's oftentimes how we explain someone to someone else. So with that in mind, think about the significance of the fact that oftentimes when our Old Testament writers, when they are introducing God, whether it's a prophet or uh, King David or somebody else, they talk about him as a father to the fatherless, as a defender of the widow. They talk about what he does. For example, this is King David in Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5. David writes this, he says, sing to God. Sing in praise of his name, extol him who, who, ruled, who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him, his name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his dwelling. And so in a, in a culture, in a world that David lived in, where the competing visions of who God was, viewed God as, as one who would align himself with the powerful with the elite, with, with the influential, that God was, was connected to the kings and the power brokers of their day, this Hebrew vision, this description, this introduction to God is uniquely different. Their God is a defender of the vulnerable. He is strength for the weak. Last week, we began this series that we're in right now entitled Injustice for All, where we're looking at and seeking to shape our understanding of and our application of justice in view of who God is and in accordance with his own heart for justice. We're trying to, to form and shape a biblical understanding of, of what it means to be just. And so at the outset, we began, and I think appropriately so, by looking at Jesus. We talked from Luke chapter 4, where Jesus essentially introduces himself, and, and at the very outset of his ministry, by citing reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he does so by describing himself as the one who is just, and the one who has come to justify us. And we, we really do have to start here. Our, our understanding of grace, our awareness of God's generous justice on our behalf directly impacts our, our willingness to accurately care about and act justly. As one pastor put it, justice without Jesus quickly turns to vengeance. And if not vengeance self-righteousness for sure john perkins who's a civil rights advocate and racial reconciliation um, leader in jackson mississippi says it this way he says we've been looking in all the wrong places for help in fighting the battle for justice we've sought help from social service agencies and government programs but this is something that requires divine power i think he's absolutely right Jesus has to be front and center in our conversations about justice because he is justice. So today I want, us, I want us to talk about the application, about the idea, concept of justice as an expression of worship. And conversely, 
thinking about how our worship in the absence of justice is, is empty. So we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 58. And Isaiah, um, he's writing in the end of the kingdom period. So this is um, about 700 years prior to the arrival of Christ. He is writing shortly before the, the, the threat of Assyria and eventually then Babylon is kind of at the doorstep of Israel. And Isaiah has been sent as a voice piece of God to tell the kings, the leaders, the people of influence in that society, look, you guys are living outside of my covenant design for you. And if something doesn't change, there is consequences. He's, he's coming to pronounce judgment. And yet, as he pronounces judgment, simultaneous to that, he's declaring hope. And so there's this, this warning that he's giving, but he says God's promises will be fulfilled. And you hear that back and forth throughout this entire book of, of the prophet Isaiah. Um, and it, it's interesting as we, as we jump into this, because if you ever had like one of those moments when you come into work and your boss says to you like, we need to talk. Or if you've gotten home from work and your spouse says something to you like, we need to talk, right? Like, it's different than like, hey, do you got a minute? Can we talk? Like, you know, like, oh yeah, let's catch up, right? When you come in and it's like, we need to talk, you know there's, there's an issue, like there's a problem, right? This is Isaiah coming to the people of God and saying, we need to talk. And so this whole passage begins with God confronting his people. So the first thing we see here is God confronts his people. Isaiah 58, verse, beginning in verse 1. Listen to this. He says, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sin. For day after day they, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, which that seems like a good thing. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Isaiah is confronting the people about injustice. There, there is an issue here with the people of God, and God sent Isaiah to make them aware of the issue. And the issue is that they have neglected their God-given purpose. They have neglected to be a people who do what is just and right. And so we talked about this last week, when when. God, from the very beginning, when he called out Abraham to be a family, to live in covenant relationship with him, part of their, their given purpose in that was to be a people set aside to implement justice. Right? They were to depict the character of God. They were to be put on display what God is like and how they related to the world around them. And furthermore, God locates this idea of justice with those in the society that are that are most vulnerable the most at risk this is from the prophet Zechariah 7 uh, chapter 7 he says this he says this is what the Lord Almighty says administer true justice show mercy and compassion to one another do not oppress the widow or the fatherless the foreigner or the poor Jeremiah 22.3, similarly, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right, 
Rescue from the hand of his oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And I I could cite passage after passage after passage that gives us some version of this same idea. That Israel, as the people of God, were there to protect and to care for the vulnerable. And so in the ancient Near East culture, to security, the, the sense of your safety and security was tied to your connection to family and your connection to land. And so God, when he's talking about justice issues, he, he identifies this quartet of the vulnerable. The, the widow who so oftentimes, because it was such a patriarchal society, would have her rights to land stripped by some brother or somebody else, would be left vulnerable. The orphan, the immigrant who is coming in and has neither family nor access to land, and the poor. And God says this is, this is what they lack. They lack the security of these things, and it's the responsibility of the people of God to enact justice. It was the responsibility of the people of God to prevent these people from being exploited. They were to provide security and safety for those that were incapable of providing it for themselves. And so now God sends Isaiah, his messenger, to the king, to the influential, to the powerful, and he says, we we need to have a conversation because the vulnerable aren't being defended. They're not being cared for or protected. They're being neglected and, and taken advantage of. We are, you're missing one of the hallmarks of what it means to be my people. There's an issue that, that needs to be addressed between God and his people because there is an issue between God's people and their neighbors, between God's people and the most vulnerable. So for us, thinking as the church in our culture, one of the there's two questions I think that need to be at the forefront of what we're asking all the time. And that is, who is at risk in our society? Who is is vulnerable in our world? And then what can we do to defend and protect, to provide for and lift them up? How can we respond to their vulnerability? Who who in our world and day and age is is at risk, lacks the security and the protection that we see here the prophet Isaiah addressing, and then how do we respond to that? What can we do about it? The prophet continues to go on, he does something interesting here. We see through the prophet how God connects expressions of worship with justice. God connects worship with justice. I don't know if you've ever... um, like received a gift from somebody. And after you get the gift, you realize that this person knows nothing about you, right? Like you get something that's just like, if you had the foggiest idea of, of who I was, you would understand that this is of no interest to me, right? Like, or like when your grandma like is, is given gifts and she, you're a teenager and she gives you the same thing she gave like your five-year-old cousin. And you're like, awesome, a coloring book, you know, like... Like, we're not in the same place. And, and, and when you get a gift like that, the, the inevitable question that you ask in response is, like, internally, hopefully, 
is like, do you know me? I don't, I don't want, this isn't something I would want. See, there is a disconnect here between the people and God. And the people, they're, they're bringing their gift. They're giving it. And it's as if God is saying, do you, do you even know me? Verse 3 and 58. He says, why, this is the people now speaking in response. They said, why have we fasted? They say, and you've not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. So in their mind, they're saying, aren't, aren't we doing what you're asking of us? Aren't, are, we're going to temple. Aren't we offering sacrifices? Aren't, aren't we declaring and worshiping your name in the synagogue? And yet we look out our window and Assyria is at our doorstep. Like where, why God? Like what is going on? And God says, yes, you're doing all those things. And yet you leave this place and you go and you exploit your workers. You exploit the people who are most vulnerable. Look at this is not the first time Isaiah has brought this up. In fact, if you turn to Isaiah chapter one, I need just one more example of this. Isaiah chapter one and Isaiah chapter 58 almost echo each other. Um, He says something very similar. This is verse 10. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So just from the outset, like that is not a compliment. Like Sodom and Gomorrah were known for their abusive and oppressive ways. And so when God says this, when he's referring to this, it's it's not good. He says in verse 11, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat, a fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come near, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I bear witness. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They've become a burden to me, and I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening your hands are full of blood. This is, this is hard to hear. We don't, we don't think of God in these terms, but do we see what's happening? The, the people of God have been really faithful in their observance of temple worship. And then they leave that place and they go home and they exploit the poor and they ignore the vulnerable. And God says, stop. He says that your your worship in here does not match your worship out there. And I don't want it. He says, "It's, it's as if you don't even know me. The prophet connects genuine worship with the practice of justice. 
And, and when the people of God are neglecting justice, these songs of worship, these praises that we offer, they ring hollow in the ears of him who, whose very being is justice. And so just that we don't think that this is just this Old Testament thing, the, the Apostle James says it this way in James chapter 1. Verse 27, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So God here makes this connection between, ju- between justice, the acts of justice, and worship. And the fact that worship, in, when justice is neglected, is, is empty. But then thirdly, now God calls his people to repentance. God calls his people to repentance back in, in Isaiah, first in 58, verses 6 now, 6 through 8, he says, Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wonder with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, in verse 8, your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Back in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my stop, out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come, and I love this, verse 18. Come, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This uh, last summer, uh, Sherry and I ended up kind of doing a last-minute trip up to northern Michigan. We would we normally vacation down in South Carolina in the summer, and at that point in time, like their COVID numbers were like through the roof, and so um, we decided to make a last-minute adjustment. And we went up to um, kind of the Traverse City area of Michigan, if you've ever been there, and. We went to um, Sleeping Bear Dunes. Has anybody, has anybody been to Sleeping Bear Dunes? It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful spot. There's, it's an incredible place. I had never been there before, but this is a picture of Sleeping Bear Dune, and I really don't feel like this picture quite does it justice. Like, it's more intimidating than it looks here in this picture. And you can see in the middle of this, this dune that there's a trail that people will hike all the way down to Lake Michigan, and, but once you get down to Lake Michigan, there is no way out of there, unless you're a really good swimmer, then back up that dune. And so at the top of the dune is this sign. Avoid getting stuck, right? And, and so I was asking the guy, the, the park ranger, about this, and he said, yeah, it's, it says it happens all the time. And because the way the water is down there and... Um, because there is no way out. He says, if somebody gets down and cannot get back up, he said, we have to bring in a helicopter and rescue them. And it's, it's expensive. And so we've just 
try to warn people if this happens you're foot in the bill basically right if you get down there and you're stuck in the water and they're coming or if you're like make it halfway and then you start throwing up apparently like that guy was in the in the picture like you know they got to come get you like you're going to pay for that right and what is what is the point of this sign is to convince you to turn around right what is isaiah's purpose in calling out the sin of israel what what is his objective in exposing injustice it's to convince them of their need to turn around to remember what it was that that God had designed them to be from the very outset. Remember what we said about Isaiah. What his purpose was there with the people of Israel. To pronounce judgment and to provide hope. And this call to repentance is a provision of hope. It's what he offers here. Right? This word repentance isn't one that in our, our culture is, is very popular, uh, popular. It's not read oftentimes as being super positive. And perhaps that's because it gets used oftentimes in a context where, where they view the church as, as making others aware of their need to repent rather than something they've seen displayed from, from the people of God themselves. But, but make no mistake about it, repentance, when properly understood, is a beautiful invitation to healing and wholeness. If the implication of Isaiah's accusation to the people of God is that justice is more than something we just add to our spiritual resume if it's more than something we just add to our portfolio to impress God and if a lack of justice is in fact an indicator that that the very heart of the worshiper is far from God then a call to repentance is an invitation to return to authentic and genuine intimacy with our creator the, the, the warning makes us aware that destruction lies ahead. And the call to repentance is an invitation back to the security of the promise. Isaiah calls the people to confess their sin, to acknowledge the injustice, and to return to their God-given purpose. And in doing so, to experience the promise that, that God has established for them, for His people. And let me just sort of pastorally, if I can, for a moment. I've, I've thought a lot about this in our cultural moment. And you can look, and on the one side, you can see people who sort of play the Isaiah role in, in our current culture. And they're, they're very um, comfortable acknowledging and calling out places where the church has fallen short where we as the people of God have neglected justice. And on the other side, you can see people who will point to all the incredible things. Like I, I could cite for you like secular philosophers and sociologists who would say that the greatest advancement in human rights in the history of humanity has been the, the church. And they would give you evidence after evidence. And so oftentimes we have this tendency to sort of want to take one of these two positions and, and I've come to recognize that both can be true. There can be things that we look at and celebrate and applaud and encourage and promote. And we can also have areas in our life where we say we need to do better. 
As the church, we maybe haven't seen this. Maybe my eyes haven't been opened to it, but I'm becoming aware and I need to respond to it. Both of those can be true at the same time. We don't, we don't have to live in this world where it's one or the other. And so for me, again, pastorally, my heart is this. In, is, I think we have to approach these conversations with humility and thoughtfulness. We have to be willing to come at it and say, okay, Lord, like, what, are you, what do you want us to see here? And if we become aware together that, that there is an area that we have neglected, then we receive the invitation of Isaiah and we, Lord, we're sorry, forgive us, we want to do better. Truth and justice are, are, are so incredibly entwined. But in all of this, it's the, the, the objective, the goal is, is not to beat down. That's not Isaiah's heart. He's declaring hope. He wants them to be aware of the promise. And I think we as the church, we need to live in that tension between... And, and I'll also say this. Um, it is also true that God will not... Um, he doesn't divide justice issues equally in each of your own heart. Like There's some of you that are very passionate about meeting the needs of the poor. And there's some of you that are very passionate about racial justice issues. And some of you are very passionate about protection and defending women. And some of you are very passionate about kids who need families. And that, and I, like somebody recently told me, like as a pastor, I'm sort of like a point guard, right? It's like, I'm just distributing the ball because yes, yes, d- defend the victim. Um, come to the rescue of, of the poor. Like it, it's not that we all care about all of these things equally simultaneously, but that's the beauty of the body of Christ is that together, if we are responding in obedience to what he calls us to, the world out there is going to witness the worship that we, that we declare in here together. And that's what we're after. That's what we're trying to do. And so this call to repentance is not, it's not intended to beat us down. It's intended to bring us back to the heart of God and to live in the fulfillment of the promise that he declares. Which leaves us with this, this fourth thing, and I'll do this really quickly, is that God casts a better vision. God casts a better vision back in Isaiah 58. After all of this, Isaiah says this. He says, Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and you will raise and raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. See, Isaiah concludes this difficult conversation with a vision of God's intent and desire. This is what the Old Testament prophets and and writers refer to as shalom, what we translate as as peace, but it means far more than, than a lack of conflict or an absence of violence. 
right? Just, injustice, no matter who the victim is and where they are at, when that exists, it disrupts shalom. And what God, what Isaiah and uh, the prophets want us to understand is that our lives are intertwined. The, the thread of our lives are all weaved together. Neil Plantica says it, describes it this way. He says, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation, injustice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. See, God is, is Isaiah is, is reminding the people of God of the way things ought to be. And he's reminding them that one day it will fully be this way. But until that day comes, as the people of God, the body of Christ, we work for the advancement of shalom in this world, and we do so as an act of worship to our God. Because as Isaiah says, we are to be a people who loose the chains of injustice, who untie the cords of the yoke, who set the oppressed free, who break every yoke, who share our food with the hungry, who provide shelter to the wonder, who clothe the naked. Then your light, he says, will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again um, for your word. We thank you that we can come in and, and seek to understand, Lord, your heart for justice, justice and to seek to live that out in the world around us. So God, I pray that in this space, when we gather and we declare your worship and we acknowledge who you are, that that would be matched by our worship out there as we come alongside and we seek to love and support and provide for the most vulnerable among us. Lord, we pray that that justice would be an act of worship from your people that reveals who you are to our world. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me and receive this morning's benediction? I want to remind you that in our lobby this morning, you're, there's booths out there that would love to tell you more about Royal Family Kids Camp and Safe Families. It's not, you're not obligating yourself to anything, but if you're just curious, if you would like to know more about these ministries, um, Royal Family, as, as many of you know, works to provide a camp and, and a safe place for kids in the foster care system in the, tri, in the, in the Fox Valley area. Um, and Safe Families, you saw the story earlier today about the ministry that they do. Um, we've got representatives in the lobby. They'd love to just get your name and information or tell you more, share a little bit of, of their story. And now receive this morning's benediction. Go now in the name of Jesus Christ who has come to justify us and who sends us to be his people of justice. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.